Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices Past and Present, brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention. Visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and more information on this ministry, www.ihconvention.com. The sermon that you're going to hear today by Leonard Sankey is an absolute classic. He preached it in 1991 at the School of the Prophets when it was held on the campus of God's Bible School and College in Cincinnati, Ohio. He titles his talk, Handling Our Heritage. This is a very needed subject and we're going to hear about it today on Convention Pulpit. Well, what a joy to be back with you at the School of the Prophets. Though I do not have as long an association with the School of the Prophets as I do with IHC itself, my associations with the School of the Prophets have always been profitable. And even though I have to go on to another convention tomorrow, I'm anticipating that God will feed my soul through the spirit of this 1991 School of the Prophets. I'm going to read tonight from Psalm 71. Psalm 71, and I want to read verses 17 and 18. A testimony of David. I think it has a relationship to our overall theme of the School of the Prophets, which is exploring our roots. And I'd like to pick up on David's idea of this matter of our heritage and of our roots. Psalm 71, verses 17 and 18. I tell you, frankly, I kind of hate to read the first part of verse 18, but since it's there as a text, I'm going to have to read it. O God, thou hast taught me from my youth, and hitherto have I declared thy wondrous works. Now also, when I am old and gray-headed, O God, forsake me not, until I have showed thy strength unto this generation and thy power to everyone that is to come. And tonight I would like to talk to you out of my heart on a general theme of handling our heritage. Mine will be half of a paper and hopefully with the help of the Lord, half of a message. It's not exactly a paper, it's not exactly a message, but it will be my heart, handling our heritage. I do claim, I, let me issue a disclaimer, first of all. When I wrote these notes, I was sitting in a hospital room in Knoxville awaiting the birth of our second grandchild. I make no claim for what may eventually come out of these these notes tonight because I was a pretty I was a pretty edgy grandpa while I was trying to write the notes for this message tonight you perhaps will understand well as I approach the matter of my heritage and your heritage our 
common heritage, I would like to say that, first of all, my attitude is one of concern, but not melancholy. That the atmosphere in which I approach the subject is one of burden, but not despair. That my aspiration for this service is that of imparting rather than discouraging and of impacting rather than detracting. I am vastly thankful for the common heritage which you and I share in this service tonight. The common heritage of camp meetings, of revival meetings, of churches, of Bible schools, of Christian day schools, of publishing concerns. And for our purposes tonight in particular, the common heritage of IHC. How I thank God. If God hadn't brought me to God's Bible school, I would have probably never been acquainted with IHC. But thank God for these many, many years of having the privilege of being associated with the Interchurch Holiness Convention. I am not only vastly thankful for our common heritage, but I am very respectful of our common heritage. Just because something is of the past is no reason for us to throw it overboard. There is an attitude prevalent in some quarters and among some people that if it is of the past, it really has no value to us. Let us jettison it and let's go on to better things. I think it is foolish. I am very respectful of our common heritage. I'm not about to toss it overboard or to discount it or to, dis to discard it. And it's not just a matter of singing, it was good for our fathers either. It's a matter that there's something very real and very important and to me something very precious. And I'm not about to throw over my heritage just because it happens to be of the past. They tell us, of course, don't live in the past. And basically, I agree with that. But there is no reason why we cannot learn from the past and why we cannot build on the past. And then I am also vitally hopeful that our common heritage will strengthen and grow even in a day when it looks like there is a great falling away. And when there are many things that perhaps would cause us to be discouraged, my aspiration is that God will help our common heritage to provide a fruitful ground in which to grow and strengthen and increase across the country. There are perhaps three certainties that I would like to lay down here at the beginning of the message. I believe, number one, that God wants his work, that is our heritage, to go on. We were talking a little while ago about this matter of whether or not we are where we ought to be. I really don't struggle with that. I believe with all of my heart I am exactly where God wants me to be theologically and experientially. I believe in the holiness way with all of my heart. And I believe that God wants our common heritage to go on. First certainty. Second certainty is that our forefathers wanted their heritage and what is now our heritage to go on. And they passed it on to you and to me. 
And the third certainty is that we now have this heritage in our hands. Now, with those three certainties, I'd like to introduce two problems. One of those problems is, do we care enough about our heritage to pass it on? And second, perhaps more, more scary than the first, and that is this, will there be another generation to receive the heritage that you and I count as precious? To address, to, to address the certainties and also the questions, I would like to pose for you tonight my personal question, how do we handle our heritage? It is a question that I'm asking myself. I hope you will ask yourself the same question. I suggest to this group here in the auditorium at God's Bible School on this Monday evening, I suggest, first of all, that we handle our heritage preciously. That is how David viewed his heritage. And that is how our fathers viewed their heritage. They viewed it as something exceedingly precious. I would like to suggest that you and I covenant together on this Monday night of the 1991 School of the Prophets that we covenant together that we will handle our heritage preciously. Second, I would also like to suggest that we handle our heritage personally. The only way that David could have prayed as he prayed here in Psalm 71 is that he personally was enjoying what he was talking about. And he personally wanted to pass that along. And the only way that we have received it from our fathers is that our fathers also handled it personally. They knew what they believed and they wanted to pass it along personally. And third, I want to suggest that we handle our heritage passionately. David felt it so passionately. He said, the lines are fallen to me in pleasant places, yea, have a goodly heritage. I sense passion in those words. I want to do something with what has been given to me. Lord, he said, hold on to me. Give me the strength so that I can pass along what I have. He handled it passionately. Our forefathers sensed the importance of this heritage of which we speak tonight. And they handed it along to us passionately, passionately enough to suffer for it. Read Wesley and his veterans, or go back farther than that, or come in between Wesley and his veterans, our direction. And there have always been people who loved it and appreciated our heritage so much that they handled it passionately enough to suffer for it. Not only passionately enough to suffer for it, but passionately enough to defend it. And I would like to suggest that somewhere we'd be praying that God would raise up in our generation and from among our common heritage, those with enough, with enough mental acumen and with enough ability with a pen or a typewriter or a computer keyboard, some people who will be able to passionately defend the heritage that we love and appreciate. Not only to suffer for it, not only to defend it, but passionately enough to preach it.
Brother Shmuel said a moment ago that uh, how and how true it is that our even our Bible schools uh, are not really producing as many preachers as we ought to be putting out. I tell you, friends, tonight I think that part of the problem is that we have lost the passion of this whole thing in which we are involved passionately enough to preach it even when it isn't popular. And finally, passionately enough to live it. Amen. God help us to do that. I say finally, that's finally on that particular page, you understand. That's a preacher's finally. Passionately enough to live it. What right do we have to criticize other religious communions? We criticize them for saying one thing and living something else. We better be sure that we are so much passionately attached to our heritage that we are living it on a day-by-day basis. Well, I hope you understand or that you will before it is over that our I do not consider our heritage to be an icon or an idol or an object of worship or a good luck charm or a fetish or anything of those kind. But I will say that if our heritage is scriptural and if it is spiritual and if it is sensible, then I say let's do something with it. I would like to say that if it is scriptural and spiritual and sensible, and I believe that it is, then it is worthy of our attention. It is worthwhile to pass it on. And it is wonderful to advance it to others who may need our message. Let's take a moment to deal with the past. I mentioned earlier in the in the message that we should not throw everything overboard just because it is from the past. And I think one of the clearest scriptural lessons about this is the story of Joshua and how when Moses, the great leader of so many years, died, it would have been, I'm assuming, an easy thing, at least in our kind of atmosphere for Joshua to say, well, I'm glad the old man is out of here. Now we can really do things. But neither Moses nor God felt that way about the past. When God addressed Joshua, he said this, Moses, my servant is dead. But he said, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Friend, I take courage from that kind of, from that kind of talk. I do not discount my past. And I am, am emphasizing this a little bit because I had a friend with whom I was closely associated. And he came to a time in his life when simply because things were of the past, in his mind, it was a good enough reason to toss it aside and let's go on with something else. And I tell you, it will happen with us just like it did with him. When we discount our past and discard our past, it leaves us without root and without anchor. And pretty soon we will drift farther than we ever dreamed that we would drift. I prefer to set some anchors in my heritage in my past, because I believe that it's worthwhile doing so. If you have your Bible still there, I, I wish you would turn back with me just for a moment to that Psalm 71. I, I want to just refer to, uh, real quickly, to three other verses in that chapter as a foundation for the rest of the message tonight. In Psalm 71, I want to read verse 6, then back to 
verse 5, and then ahead to verse 17. If you want to turn in your Bibles with me to those verses, there's just a couple of things here that caught my attention as I was trying to get ready for this message tonight. Verse 6. By thee, David says, by thee have I been holden up from the womb. Thou art he that took me out of my mother's bowels. My praise shall be continually of thee. Verse 5. For thou art my hope, O Lord God. Thou art my trust from my youth. And verse 17. O God, thou hast taught me from my youth. And hitherto have I declared thy wondrous works. Now I refer to those three verses because to me it demonstrates the interest that God has in seeing his work go on, to proceed, to be passed along to another generation. Did you notice what David said? That God himself took me out of the womb. Maybe, maybe that strikes me a little bit more because I have just so recently observed the miracle of birth one more time. There is something miraculous about a baby being born. And I believe that it shows the interest that God has in our babies. And I'm talking here for a moment physically. If God Almighty called Jeremiah before he was in the womb and filled John the Baptist with the Holy Ghost before he was born. There certainly should be no question in our mind where we should stand as far as abortion is concerned. God's hand is upon every unborn child. I believe that God has a plan for every unborn child. And would carry out that plan if only he were given an opportunity to do so. And it is a picture, I believe, of how concerned God is with his work. To see it born and to see it carry along through the childhood and through the youth. And finally, it, till, like David says, we are old and gray-haired. It is God's interest in passing along this work. I believe that God has an interest in it. Now, let's look for a little bit about this matter of our heritage as it came to us. And let's talk a little bit about how our fathers handed it to you and to me. Our forefathers handled it preciously. Luke 15, John White tells us, is God's lost and found department. <laughs> that's, a, that's a pretty picture. I, I like that. Like the man who found the pearl of great price like the woman who found the coin that was lost and like the wandering son who found his way back home again so our spiritual forebearers handled the heritage of holiness preciously and it is precious ladies and gentlemen and those who handed it to us handed, to, handed it to us preciously they thought our doctrines were precious now, I don't know about your mom and dad. My mom and dad would, un when, would have under no circumstances been considered school. They would under no circumstances have been considered theologians. But I know this much about it. 
especially in the case of my mother, by her day-by-day example. My mother had something that she considered precious enough that she wanted to pass it along to her children. She handled it preciously. She might not have been able to define Bible doctrines, but somewhere along the line through pastors that were not world shakers and Sunday school teachers that we would consider untrained and moms and dads who were unschooled, somewhere along the line that heritage was passed on to me that told me that God's word was true and that it was without error. And that it was something that I could get a hold of and that I could stand on and that I could trust. That book tells me that there is a Christ who was crucified, but he was also a Christ who was risen. And somewhere along the line, I picked up the idea that there is a power so strong and so great in the resurrection of Jesus Christ that let a man be uh, as far as he wants to be in the pit and the sin and there is power in the resurrection of Christ to grab that man and lift him out and change his life and send him on his way that kind of thing was passed on to me I thank God it still works Uh, hallelujah I was told that salvation was by faith in, in the atonement of Christ And I still believe with all of my heart and we holiness people, I think, especially need to understand because we have a little tendency, I think, to get the idea, you know, if we'll just be a little stricter or if we'll be a little tighter or if we'll add a few more rules that somehow this is going to make us more saved. Ladies and gentlemen, we are either saved by the blood, by the atonement of Jesus Christ and that atonement alone or we're not saved. Somewhere I picked up the idea that my salvation depends on the atonement of Jesus Christ. I somewhere picked up the idea that our hearts could be made pure and holy and perfected in love by the power of the Holy Ghost. And that we could live a life holily by the power of the Holy Spirit. I was taught that the church is the body of Christ and that there is fellowship among God's people. And all my friends tonight, how I wish that we could just stop there to make sure that as far as this little group here is concerned, that we all understand that if we're God's people, there ought to be fellowship between us. I was taught that Jesus is coming. And I believe that with all of my heart. Where is the promise of his coming is literally what is happening around us. But remember, we were already warned about that hundreds of years ago by Peter who said that's exactly what they would say. But the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as we might count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The most unusual service last night. We had had communion in the morning and a very precious, a very, I guess I would call it a solid communion service in which the presence of the Lord was there in a very special way, strengthening and encouraging the people who were in that service. And at night, the people began to testify about the help that they had received in the communion service that morning. 
And somewhere along the line in the, in the middle of, of those testimonies, the Holy Ghost settled down on that service in a spirit of burden. I don't know that I've ever been in a service exactly like it where so many people got up and with tears leaned over the seat in front of them and begged through their praying a group of young people who were sitting there in the church weeping over them and praying for them and beseeching them that they would find their way to God. And most of it was on this basis Young people, do you realize that we're living in the days of the coming of the Son of Man? Ladies and gentlemen, we must live with that in our mind and that in, in view of our lifestyle that we are second coming oriented people. They not only thought our doctrines were precious, but they thought our practices were, were precious. And I thank God for that as well. Now I want to say just a word here before I talk about this next section. My own background is, is out of the Wesleyan Methodist Church. And the Wesleyan Methodist was more of a, of a reform movement than a revival movement. The Wesleyan Methodist Church separated from the Methodist Church back in 1840 because of tobacco and lodges and slavery and some things like that. And while there were elements of revival within the movement, the basic purpose for the founding of the Wesleyan Methodist Church was more on the basis of reform than revival. And so there were some aspects of my, of my early years and the heritage that was passed on to me that might be somewhat different than yours. But I think there's a common thread that we will be able to enjoy together tonight. One of the things that I would like to thank God for is that it was passed along to me that as Christians we ought to have a concern for those without the Lord. Now, my mom and dad probably would not have ever gone to what we call a soul-winning seminar. And many of the older people would not feel at home with this organized program type of approach to soul winning. And I'm not necessarily criticizing. I'm just simply telling you that as a part of my heritage, what there was there, that it ought to be a passion of the soul that those who are lost ought to be approached with the good news. It come down to practical things like this. Across the, between my folks' home and the house on the other side of the street, there was a fence in between the two houses, but also in between the two houses, there was a pathway that had been worn. Evidently, there was a little gate or a hole in the fence, whatever it was, and, and uh, the people who had lived there over the years had worn a path. And the people who lived uh, in the other house were Christians, and my mom and dad were not Christians. But those people in what, what would we call it? Natural soul winning felt enough of a concern for my mom and dad that they walked back the path and over through the fence and started getting acquainted with my mom and dad. Invited them to church. And because of a simple act of kindness and concern, my folks were saved just about a year before I was born into this world so that all that I've ever known is a Christian home. And I was raised with the thought that as Christians, we ought to have a concern for those who are lost. I was telling yesterday in my Sunday school class about the night that I was saved. I had been running away from God as a teenager and, 
and uh, a guest preacher came along, a man that I had not seen up until that time and a man that I haven't seen since. I have corresponded with him to thank him for ever coming my direction. But Danny Hines came by the church in Greenville and our pastor asked him to preach and he did. And he preached a message about Jonah running away from God. And the more he preached, the more the Lord laid it on my heart. Son, you're that Jonah, and you've been running. You've been running from my call, and you've been running away from God, and this is your night to do something about it. By the time he was done, the God had laid a load on my heart, and down the aisle I came, and over on this side of that little chapel, I found my way to God. But here's what I want to say. The, the interesting thing to me is that the very first thought that I remember coming into my mind after I knew that God had saved me was this. I'm saved, undoubtedly God wants to do something with me. God help us tonight and somehow recapture something of that desire and of that passion and of that concern to pass along to those without the Savior the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. They passed along to me that it was a very precious thing to reverence the Lord's day. And I thank God that that's a part of my heritage. I've never been able to get away from Sunday being a day different than any other day of the week. There are things that I don't do on Sunday that I may do six other days because I was taught that Sunday was a special day. And it still is special. I like the fact that they passed along to me that there ought to be in the Christian life some degree of liberty and freedom in the spirit. And I, I am not just a wild-eyed, uh, a wild-eyed proponent of, of screaming and shouting and, and running. And I love those kind of things when God is there, but that's not really my point. My point is that in whatever way the Holy Ghost chooses to move, there ought to be some kind of liberty and freedom among the people of God. And yet, friends, we have to understand, and I believe that we have to confess that in too many of our churches, we have grown so dull and so and, and so tight that it's difficult for the Spirit of God to put a spirit of weeping or a spirit of rejoicing or a spirit of singing or a spirit of compassion. And I tell you, friends, that's something that was built into me as I was growing up. There ought to be some kind of freedom of the Spirit among God's people. I was taught that there was a line of separation between God's people and the world. And again, I try not to be a fanatic about these things, but I tell you, friends, it has become more of a burden and more of a concern in the last four or five years than in all the rest of the years that I've tried to serve the Lord, that here is a part of my heritage that I consider it precious enough that I'm willing to try to stand for it and to defend it and to preach it and to hold on to it, not just simply to hold on to something for the sake of grabbing something, but because I believe it is a scriptural part of my heritage and I believe in the lines of separation between God's people in the world. I was taught that there ought to be a characteristic of absolute surrender and absolute obedience and absolute submissiveness to God. Oh, it makes me, it makes me feel badly to see the testiness of, of people who are supposedly uh, saved and sanctified and yet you don't dare push them very far because there's, there's something there that kicks back and that reacts 
And I believe that God can fix us up, that when God speaks and when God's minister speaks and when the word speaks, there's no kickback. We may not always understand, but we can have a heart that says, Lord, whatever it is, I will, I will, I will. Amen. It's a little chorus, and it may not mean much to you, but it's been meaning something to me in these days recently. And that is, I say yes, Lord, yes to your will and to your way. I say yes, Lord, yes. I will trust you and obey. When your spirit speaks to me with my whole heart, I'll agree. And my answer will be yes, Lord, yes. I was taught and it was passed along to me that there was an efficacy in prayer. Oh, I want God to touch my heart. How desperately I need to know more about this area. It's a part of my heritage. My mother was a praying woman. And more times than one, my young ears heard around the altar in the little Greenville church, Evelyn Huber, Elma Patterson, Leona Sankey, as they literally groan in soul agony over their children or over young people in the church who were wandering away from God. Soul agony is something which we just about have forgotten completely. I heard, I think, I, I can honestly say this, that I heard a little bit of it last night. Our piano player, something had happened with her son. And in the midst of this burden that settled down on the people, I heard her off to my side groaning and weeping. And I tell you, friends, if we have a hope in this world, it's going to be God's people realizing that it is a legitimate and a scriptural part of our heritage, that there is an efficacy in prayer that we can find nowhere else. And I need it, Brother Shmuel. I need God to touch my heart. I want to be able to pass along to Mark and to my children and to my grandchildren something of what I have known. That's my heritage. Consistency in prayer and constancy in prayer and praying in the Holy Ghost. He also told me that brokenness and humility in God's kingdom are the ways the world says that's foolishness. God said the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Oh God, thou wilt not despise. I received a letter, perhaps you noticed in the convention herald, we put out a note asking people to write and give us some of their memories of early conventions. And I received a letter from a man in the group of people with whom I was raised, an older preacher, now retired. And he said, I noted, Brother Sankey, in the paper that you wanted remembrances of the early conventions. And he said, I went to my journal. I hope that somebody who knows what to do with journals gets a hold of that man's, that man's journals. But he said, I went to my journal of the first convention at the church there, Brother Shmuel in Salem. He said, the reason why I wanted to go to that convention is because they said there was going to be praying and fasting and humbling of ourselves. I wanted to go. Now you almost have to hold out 
the olive branch of entertainment to get people to come to churches and conventions. And I tell you, friends, somewhere we need to recover the understanding that God's way up is always down. Sure, it hurts. Sure, sometimes it's uncomfortable, but I tell you it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness in our lives if we're willing to humble ourselves before God and take the humble place. I was passed along, it was passed along to me, a heritage of revival meetings and camp meetings and conventions and how thankful I am for that tonight. They thought this heritage was precious enough to pass along to me. And many of you can sit there in your seats and say, yes, Brother Sankey, someone thought it was precious enough to pass it along to me as well. And so I'd like to ask this question to you tonight. Is this heritage about what I'm speaking tonight, is this heritage important enough to you, brothers and sisters, to handle it as something precious, something of value, and something that you need to pass along. And more intimately, can I bring it down to this question, are you tonight handling this heritage personally? Does it mean anything to you? Because unless it means something to somebody, it's soon going to be gone. Does the Bible speak to you? I don't agree with Swindollin very much. <laughs> But Swindoll did make a statement that caught my attention one day. He said this, God's word speaks with authority whether we agree with it or not. And it certainly does. But you know, we holiness people are no different than anyone else. We are going to have to be in the place where God's word speaks to us personally. Do I experience tonight and do you experience tonight personally the reality of Wesley's cry, Arise, my soul, arise. Shake off thy guilty fears. The bleeding sacrifice in my behalf appears. Oh, friends of mine tonight, we are going to have to experience this heritage not only as our forefathers passed it along, but we must experience it personally. In our own hearts, has my heart been made clean and pure in the blood of the Lamb? I believe that we face the tragic prospect that the doctrine of entire sanctification will become simply that, a doctrine dry and stuffy, written in books, but without a vital experience and without a consecrated holy life. I'd like to ask you tonight, are you a part of the body? Well, but Brother Sankey, I'm an independent. Well... You know, you can be just so independent. You can't be too independent and still be a part of the body. I belong to you whether you like it or not. And, and you belong to me whether you like it or not. We are part and, and parcel of the body of Christ. And I love you tonight. I claim you as a part of my body. And I want you to claim me. We are a part of God's body, of Christ's body. And so, as we come really, truly now to toward the close of this message tonight, this final question is this, how are we then going to pass along what was handled so preciously by those before us and what should be handled personally by us today? I believe that the only answer is for you and me to handle it passionately. When I was in Belize a couple or three years ago riding along with 
Richard Heatwall along that darkened highway after a service in that rattly, banging, noisy old truck. Heatwall looked over at me across his wife and he said, Brother Sankey, he said, I want God to be God in this generation. There's no reason, friends, why this generation should not know that God in heaven is God. We know he's God, but this generation has no idea, and they never will unless someone is willing to handle this heritage passionately. Wesley said, I'm not afraid that the people called Methodists shall cease to exist, but that they shall exist only as a dead sect. The passionate love for our heritage should enable us to handle it with care. Not with our personal notions and hobbies, but with God's absolutes and with Bible principles. That's handling our heritage with care. Enough damage is being done because of man-made notions and, and hobby horses. But I can tell you one thing. We can take just as strong a stand as needs to be taken. We'll take it on the basis of God's eternal biblical principles. This passionate concern for our heritage should not only enable us to handle it with care, but it should empower us to handle it with prayer. This means something to me. I tell you, it means something to me. They asked me to come over this morning and speak in the chapel service. And, and it, it's no easier for me, perhaps, than what it is for you. But I, I felt a burden on my heart to tell these young people in this chapel service this morning that there are some things about the holiness lifestyle that I believe deeply enough and passionately enough that I wanted them to know it. And that there was a reason why we believe as we believe. But we're going to have to handle it with prayer. Prayer that is based on a godly lifestyle. After all, James said, it is the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man that availeth much. A prayer life that is consistent. And I was hoping, I'll be very frank with you, I was hoping that there would be more students in the service tonight because I wanted to tell the students, I wanted to beg them, to establish the patterns of devotional life here. To establish the idea that here is something that is, that is important enough for me to do on a consistent basis. Our prayer life is not only based on a godly li lifestyle. It is not only consistent. But our prayer life, as you well know, is going to have to be determined. And maybe I could throw in the word dogged. Sometimes you just have to get a hold of it and hang in there, whether you feel like it or whether you don't, whether it's things are happening or whether they're not happening. We get a hold of this thing, and because we know it's right, we hang on. A dogged, determined prayer life, and I believe it ought to be a deepening prayer life. Understanding our weakness. Paul says that the Holy Spirit understands our infirmities or our weaknesses. I confess he doesn't have to, well, I, and I don't mean to say that irreverently, but he doesn't have to show me. I understand how weak I am. But the Holy Ghost, understanding our weaknesses, prays in us and through us with groanings which cannot be uttered. 
understanding as only the Holy Ghost can what is the will of God and helping us to pray that way perhaps sometimes when we don't even understand how it is that God is praying through us. I mentioned this matter of soul travail a few moments ago and I remember Van Warmer's little booklet on the lost agony. And I tell you, friends, I need God's help to recover in some measure that part of my heritage. Well, something has been given to us, and that is our heritage. We're talking about roots. Something has been given to you and given to me by those who handled it preciously. Many here in this service tonight enjoy that heritage personally. And now I pray God that he will help us to take this treasure and passionately pass it on. David said, Lord, thou hast taught me from my youth. And hitherto, that is, from my youth up until the present time, have I enjoyed personally what thou hast done for my soul. This is the way he ends his prayer. Now, he says, dear Lord, please don't leave me. Let me show thy strength to this generation. Brother Shmuel, there is no reason why my children should not know at least something of what I have known and what you have known. Lord, let me show thy strength to this generation. Let me show thy power to the coming generation. And I tell you, those of us with a few years on us have a responsibility not just to hold the treasure to ourselves, but to, to consider it so precious that we are willing to passionately pass it along. You say, well, Brother Sankey, how to do it? How to do it? I believe that we can say very simply and very easily two ways. I believe that individually we ought to find our way to a personal place of prayer and ask for a fresh clear, heaven-sent baptism of the Holy Ghost upon our hearts. You say, Brother Sankey, that would contradict my theology. Better to contradict your theology and get something fresh from heaven. Because I tell you, friends, it's never going to work. And it will never be passed on unless we ourselves are enjoying the freshness and the newness and the anointing of the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. And on a church-wide basis... A heaven-sent revival, I believe, is the surest way to preserve and propagate our heritage. Daniel Steele said that it is the Holy Ghost who is the conservator of orthodoxy. And I think all he's trying to say is simply this. When the light begins to go out, the light of the Holy Ghost begins to go out in our churches. We begin to believe a whole spectrum of things that otherwise we would never consider. It is that fresh, new, infilling and reviving presence of the Holy Ghost that keeps orthodoxy in the center and keeps our churches and our lives going the way that they ought to go. And I'm convinced that it will cost us, but I'm convinced that our holiness heritage is scriptural and sensible and is of a sufficient value to pass it along to the next generation.
Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17855 USA. I don't want to lose the fight. I don't want to lose the fight.